welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast. This is 119, recording this on Wednesday, the 26th of November, 2014. I'm Steve Litchfield, and Rafe Blanford is with me as always. Hello, everybody. And we do have just a, a slightly smaller number of stories, but some of them could run on, Rafe, especially the last one, when we discussed the, the best Windows phone in the world. Uh, well, to my Jeremy Clarkson, Darren <laughs> Paling. I, I think people who listen to this podcast regularly will know uh, I don't really have any trouble in talking at length on pretty much any subject. So pretty sure we'll get to our, our usual about 35 minute length. And there's a, a few small topics we can bring up as well and talk about some of the apps we've been using recently. Uh, but I know uh, Steve has uh, been cursed recently by hearing buzzing while he's been recharging his phone. I think that was the first topic you wanted to talk about this week. But it turns out there's actually not something going wrong or well not anything more wrong with your ears i should probably say steve <laughs> yeah well my ears probably didn't uh, take kindly to a larry miller high volume rock concert last <laughs> saturday night but apart from that <laughs> the other reason for the buzzing uh, was the fact that uh, essentially chi charging um on the 830 lumia 830 had a kind of tick 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 about three or four times a second it was really bizarre i thought is the is the device faulty so i asked around other people with 830s reported the same thing. Then people with 930s started saying, hang on a minute, I hear the tick ticking as well. I then Googled Qi uh, charging tick tick ticking noise and found lots of people on all sorts of different platforms, all sorts of different devices, all hearing the same thing. And once you've heard it once, it's only a matter of uh, with any device and any charging pad, just getting your ear close enough that you can hear the noise. Now, the crucial thing, of course, is whether it's uh, actually annoying on the Lumia 830, with the fairly brittle con- construction, you know, it's metal, it's quite thin, it's this quite quite compact. Um, I find the ticking noise is loud enough to be heard unless I've got music on. The 930 is quieter, and on things devices like the 1020 with its charging shell um, and the 920, it's quiet enough that you really have to get your ear right next to the pad, so it's not a problem. But what I found out after a little bit of um, <laughs> putting my physicist hat on is that uh, within part of the protocol that actually controls how much charge is being pulsed up through the the electromagnetic coils. But there's what's called backscatter modulation, whereby the receiving device physically puts changes to load, modulates the load it's placing on the charging pad. And by modulating this load in a in a particular way, it can send signals back to the pad, data actual digital data signals <laughs> via this analog carrier, if you like, um, telling it to give me more ch- more power, less power, stop charging, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And these protocol pulses, the, these bits of data, get sent. Guess what? Every two hundred and fifty milliseconds, I every quarter of a second. So, so what you're hearing is the the physical manifestation of the load changing, subtle, subtly changing um, as the the charge is is kind of induced from the the pad. To the, to the device and the device kind of answering back by changing the, re- the resistance on the uh, on that coil so it's kind of complicated but in <laughs> the sub- to, the bottom line is that the devices are working as advertised on some devices with particular components particular resistors particular capacitors particular switching circuits maybe the effect is more audible than others as you know as perhaps as components can uh, expand contract change state um, I don't think it's a problem in, on reflection. I've learned to live with it on the A30, and certainly all my other devices are quieter. But it's just an interesting phenomenon. I, I had, to my knowledge, I didn't think anyone else, anywhere on the internet, has actually put two and two together yet. So I was quite glad to be the one who, the, the Sherlock Holmes, who solved the mystery. It's interesting, isn't it, this one, because obviously Qi wireless charging has been around for a while. And you're right, I haven't actually seen commentary about this. And having had Steve uh, sort of mention this a couple of times, 
I got some pretty funny looks as I was putting my ear down next to my <laughs> phone while the Qi charging pad w- was on and I couldn't hear it. Now, I actually have very poor hearing, relatively speaking, um, and uh, I even tried recording it and sort of seeing if I could catch anything. Um, but I wasn't able to. I listened back to your, your audio sample, Stephen. Obviously, it is there, but it's interesting. I whether, wonder whether the hearing range or the level is something that uh, maybe you have better hearing than it, it seems, and listening to all that rock music has uh, maybe not damaged your hearing as much as it has mine. Uh, but mm. it, it, it's kind of an interesting one. As you say, this is a, the signal going back to past data, back and forth. The reason it does this, actually, is obviously it controls how much uh, power is coming out of the Qi charging pad. And so when the phone gets placed down on the pad, there's actually what's going on. is There's a signal being sent saying, essentially, boost the power and start charging me. And when it gets to 100%, actually, it'll be at various different levels, you'll get different signals. It'll switch over to trickle charging. And if it's removed altogether, obviously, it, it switches off. But there's actually within the spec uh, some capability for sending these messages back and forth and obviously changing the level at which which it's being charged as i understand it in uh, sort of later version of the spec extra functionality is being added um, and it's actually a pretty clever way of doing it when you think about it because there is obviously no physical connection between the, the phone and the charging pad and particularly if it's you know not a pad it's built into something else it, it's a, a big deal now um there is a limit to the amount of communication that you can do. You might be wondering about Nokia's new charging pad, which actually has quite a lot of new functionality. It's able to kind of breathe, for example, when your phone needs charging, it can flash on alerts and notifications. But that's actually achieved by having a Bluetooth low energy connection in it yes, rather than yeah. the sort of this background charging. So just to note, it's when we talk about it communicating back and forth, it's pretty simple stuff and it's really around the charging. And you'll find that actually something similar happens on most charging solutions. There's a modulation of the current, uh, of the signal being passed back and forth in order to kind of control what level it, it comes at. And just sort of by, by way of kind of incidental information, we've talked in the past about the quick charge implementation. This is something that Qualcomm's been promoting. And most of the current Windows phone devices have quick charge 1.0, which basically allows quicker charging via the micro USB port than before. There's actually some support coming in for quick charge 2.0 now in certain chipsets. I believe one of the first Windows phones to get this is the HTC One M8 Windows Phone Edition. Um, you have to have a specific charger to go with because actually there's obviously then intelligence in the charger as well to make it charge even faster. And this uh, quick charge can potentially get you up to sort of 75% battery level in about 40 minutes. So about double the speed of current charging. The exact specs vary on, depending on how it's implemented. And if you want to go and read about it, there's a whole bunch of information on the Qualcomm site. It's actually something that's in a couple of tablets. Um, the Lumia 2520 is an example of that. And I suspect it's something we'll see on more phones next year, especially as the kind of technology matures a bit and the necessary chips to go in the charger um, come down in cost. And, you know, they can do it without really adding much cost to the bill of materials for the, the charger and obviously the phone itself. So when you think about these charging solutions, it's not quite as simple as sticking it in the wall and having energy coming out. There's actually a certain amount of back and forth um, as uh, rather ably demonstrated by the clicks that Steve's been hearing on the Qi charging. You know, there's a good reason for them. Hopefully they're not too distracting for people. I guess the fact that it's gone unnoticed so long probably uh, suggests that it hasn't really been a big deal. I haven't seen people complaining about it. But it was interesting, you know, to speculate as you did, Steve, uh, that the 830 may be particularly susceptible 
to it because of the way it's built. And I'd agree, you know, it, it does feel like there's a lot less um, sort of tolerances on the materials. I mean, I love the fact it's a really thin device um, and it, it, it perhaps, you know, that's one of the downsides of, you know, as devices get thinner, this sort of thing is going to probably become a more common occurrence. Yeah, I, in actual fact, I think the, the most of the noise is coming from the pad itself. But with the 830 being quite thin actually tends to transmit those sounds audibly mm-hmm. through the materials, but more than perhaps some of the thicker and denser phones. I think that's part, partly where the problem lies. But it's, it's in, this quick charge thing you mentioned, that's also interesting. The early research I saw on the web tended to think, well, the, the, the quick charging of phone will actually, the phone battery will actually damage it to some degree. In other words, it's, it's more... Uh, detrimental to the battery's health than charging at a traditional speed. Um, Since then, we've seen other studies come out saying, no, 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 there's no long-term detrimental effect whatsoever. So I think the jury's still out there. We've only had quick charging for a few months, Ray, so I suspect it'll take another six months or so before we have real user accounts of, well, I've been quick charging my device X for the last six months, and now the battery's shot or the battery's fine. That, that's right. I mean, we're referring to Quick Charge 2.0 here, which is actually the, the first implementation that feels much quicker than what we've had before. As I say, we've had Quick Charge 1.0 in the current generation for a while, but that's really about optimizing, you know, the, the, the amount of charge coming through at given times. Cause basically the thing is you can put more energy in between the sort of naught and 80% level. And once you get to the last 20% of the battery, it kind of makes sense to reduce the charging rate to sort of trickle charge. And that's actually to do again with protecting the battery. But you're right. There's been various studies around this. I mean, battery technology has come on so far since uh, we first started writing about mobile devices. There really isn't a need um, to kind of uh, train the battery. Well, not to the extent they used to be. I think it's still a good recommendation to uh, let your phone run down to sort of 0% or 10% at least every month or or so um, but in day-to-day usage you don't really need to worry about kind of battery memory or draining or things like that um, i suspect they'll they'll be keeping a very close eye on this for quick charging uh, but it may be one of the reasons it's it's you know so it's been around for a while and certainly some of the current chipsets are, are capable of supporting it it won't necessarily uh, be turned on um, and as i said it does require both support within the, the hardware of the phone and the hardware of the charger itself um, but as you say yeah, we'll probably get more information more reports on that Nice to say, I think we'll, we'll, it's kind of a hard thing to, to sell. I think, um, it's not something you can talk about really in a phone shop, but I do expect it to be a technology we see a lot more of in 2015. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now on iOS, uh, very good for taking panoramas, I believe. I've, I've seen some wonderful examples. Um, on Android, you have Photosphere, Google system where you just wave your Nexus around or whatever and you can capture high resolution, um, panoramas in vertically as well as horizontally all around you um on windows phone we don't really have very much we do have photosynth i just wanted to highlight the fact that it's had an update and now rafe the resolution it supports has gone from abominable to not quite so bad (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it has had an update if you go to settings in photosynth you now get a choice of let's wait for it um capture resolution can now be standard Ooh. Or, or that's about a megapixel, or higher, which is about one and a half to two megapixels. It really is um, pretty darn low. Obviously, it depends how many photographs you stitch together. And if you sit, stitch, I don't know, 20 or 30 together, then you will get something that ends up at about five to eight megapixels. But compared to the iPhone and Android competition, I, I do somehow think that Microsoft is really <laughs> hedging its bets downwards here. And I think they could do better with Photosynth. Yeah, I mean, Photosynth in a way is a sort of technology that was really developed for other uses and it's been shoehorned onto mobile. Um, not that that's necessarily a, a bad thing, uh, cause it does kind of create these 3D, uh, photos and actually kind of the intention was to be able to quickly capture kind of, uh, 
3D panoramas, but with a sort of sense of depth more to them and be able to move around them. And it is, uh, to be fair, photosynthesis photos aren't really uh, quite the same as just a flat panorama. But of course, there are a couple of uh, panorama tools available, including Lumia Panorama. And yes, I would agree, they they, they definitely uh, fall down compared to what's available on Android devices and iPhone, which tend to have the sweep type camera functionality that you get on, you know, standalone cameras. And it, it seems surprising that we haven't seen um, Lumia get that kind of functionality, given that imaging has always been such a, a strong point. And it would certainly seem in terms of the hardware support, it's there and able to do it because if you can do it on the Android devices um, and on the iPhone, there isn't really any reason in terms of hardware requirements. Yeah. So you can't do it on the Lumia devices. I mean, the only thing might be um, the speed of sort of the, the camera itself. And as we've talked about before, Nokia and, and now Microsoft does tend to emphasize quality over the speed of the camera. That's something actually going to see a bit of an improvement with with uh, Lumia camera. It's going to be uh, much harder to see a difference between kind of the leading cameras in terms of performance, or at least uh, I think that'll be a big improvement for Lumia. It, it does kind of say make me wonder why we haven't seen more of this. I suppose it comes down to the fact that panoramas aren't the most natural thing uh, to capture, and so they've decided to you know, put their investment and their money elsewhere. And again, it's something um, we've talked about this before with photos. You actually have to choose to take a panorama and that's a bit more of an involved decision. It's not that kind of instant uh, snap that you you, you get. Um, but I, I, I do really like the kind of the sweet panorama that you get on both the iPhone and Android devices. On the Android devices, I think it's uh, it's still a, a customization that you get from most of the device manufacturers. But you, as you say, there is the Google, Google Sphere app. Um, so yes, it's a, it's a good one. But I guess uh, good news that photons is a, a slightly higher resolution. We do have to work quite hard to get something uh, a decent out of it. Um, as I say, I'd give Photosynth a pass here because actually it's not quite competing with the panorama apps. It's creating these uh, synths, as Microsoft calls them, um, and uh, it's still an impressive uh, piece of uh, technology for a mobile device. Yeah, I think if I remember rightly, when Photosynth started, the idea was not just for you know individual users to produce pan- you know, 2D panoramas or in 3D panoramas, if you like, including the vertical. The idea was to take these these individually user stitched photographs um, and then build them from lots of other users into this hole whereby you could have a virtual tour around a particular landmark or a particular place all built up from what users had shot with their photosynthetic application right. yeah yeah i think that's right i mean some of that's gone away obviously with the the mobile version there's obviously still the sharing component to it um, but it was something that came out of the Microsoft yeah. Research Labs. And so it's one of those products that's actually, I think, more technology cool than actually useful to consumers. I guess you could say that about an awful lot of the imaging apps come to think of it, that, uh, you know, it, it's kind of fun for social sharing and fun for a, a quick go and so sort of demonstrating the advantages of having a, a, a computer attached to your camera. And it, I guess it's all this um, computational imagery or computational photography, yeah. which we're, we're hearing so much about. And when it works, it's absolutely fantastic. But uh, I sort of maintain that you really need to integrate it into just the standard capture process, which is which is why we're really looking forward to the Lumia camera so much, because what, have, what it does with uh, rich captures, it's just capturing as you would normally and then adding some very clever functionality to it. You know, compared to all the special modes you tend to get on other cameras, bit or things like cinemagraph or refocus on the Lumia devices. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, talking of Lumia camera, I'm guessing you mean Lumia camera, not the old Lumia camera, which is different from the 
Nokia camera and then depends on which platform you're on and because the real Lumia camera hasn't arrived yet. And if all that sounds incredibly confusing, it's because it is. I think what um, Microsoft are aiming at is that there will just be one camera application. It will be called Lumia camera, but they're having to juggle so many balls in the air in terms of keeping... The, the devices on Cyan happy, the devices currently on Denim happy, like the 830, all the people on the developer preview and the, having to do testing on all these different devices and roll it out in a seamless over-the-air up, update way. It can't be easy for them. In the meantime, I, I guess just saying Lumia camera means nothing because there was an update today, Rafe. There was. <laughs> the Lumia camera on my 1020 and the older devices, which did absolutely nothing as far as I could see, and it certainly didn't bring any new functionality. And on my 830, which is the device running Denim, which I would expect to see the new Lumia camera, <laughs> in quotes, <laughs> functionality, I didn't have the update. So it's all rather strange. We will keep on top of it. And you uh, regular watchers, listeners, and readers can rest assured that the moment the real Lumia camera enters the room and within its dinner jacket, I shall pounce on it and and give it the works yeah that, that's right i mean really there's the kind of the standard windows phone camera app that you see relatively rarely now you actually get it on the uh, non-lumia devices and in certain markets you'll also see it on lumia devices if they haven't preloaded lumia camera classic and lumia camera classic i believe is the one you <laughs> tend to get on the mid-tier and the lower end devices and then lumia camera is the kind of the the, the real thing and that's the one we're expecting to be updated in, in due course and as Steve says it, it hasn't happened yet just to complicate things there was a Lumia camera beta or a Nokia camera beta that's as far as I'm aware has now ended and it's sort of uh, switched over to the release version but I wouldn't be too surprised to see that reappear at some point but yes all these relative uh, different camera versions probably the best thing is just to keep an eye on the front page of all about Windows Phone and Steve will be reporting in detail when it arrives and we'll be able to and we'll talk about it more on the podcast as well uh, I, I feel that we keep saying it's coming soon but um, it really is yeah. coming soon my understanding is that it will arrive uh, in december and hopefully that means before christmas yeah and uh, in anticipation of that uh, in addition to the 1520 which i've got here and the 830 i've also managed to procure a, a long-term loan 930 as well from nokia so i've now have the full range of devices so whatever gets released i can give it the full treat, excellent so. yeah because we're going to get 4k mode on yep. the 930 and the 1520, but not on the 830, uh, because that's a Snapdragon 400, oh, not a Snapdragon yeah. 800. So I hope you're keeping up, everybody, all the, <laughs> all the different things. And of course, there are different camera modules as well. So it's just, yeah, it's, it, it's really quite straightforward, honest. You press the camera button and you take a picture and that's probably all you really need to worry about. Well, actually, no, because you do a long press of the shutter get button, then you take a <laughs> s- s- short snatch of video from which this you then take frames. That is actually one of the bits I'm most looking forward to. So, uh, sorry to correct you, Rafe, but yeah, there no, will be full coverage of this on the site. <laughs> ab- absolutely right. That's the, the 4K video mode, which you can then a- 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 extract kind of still frames from. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're right. That, that's one of the things that is really clever use of existing physical hardware. Um, and also, the uh, performance improvements that I referred to earlier in terms of startup time and shot-to-shot time, that's something that's also coming with this uh, Lumia camera update. The yeah. proper one, not the minor one. <laughs> <laughs> and I did notice that um, people have been talking for about a year or so with the Galaxy Note range, um, which can shoot um, 4K video. And the idea being is that you can you, you, you literally take a video of your family doing something, then you go back later on, frame by frame and extract eight megapixel stills and the the idea is there and it works but you have to go through a very fiddly samsung um video player stroke editor mode and it's all rather all rather quirky and takes a lot of time i think nokia's implementation looks to be much better and much smoother and you literally just long press the shutter button and you, as you say it takes 
whatever it is, however long you want, three or four sec- seconds of video, 10 seconds, and then it automatically shows you with a, a, an easy-to-use interface on the screen which ones, which, which bits do you want, which frames do you want, and you quickly select them and quickly save them. So I think Nokia hopefully have learned from some of the uh, quirks in the Android implementations and Nokia's camera software, not for the first time, will end up being more intuitive than the competitions. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I tried this out a while ago when it, the 830 uh, launched and they were showing it off on the 930 and the 1520 as well. It's kind of, you uh, scrubble through it as if it was an audio or a video feed and you can pick out the, the frame that you want and it works really well. I think that's one of the things that the imaging team uh, has done really well is to refine the interfaces and you know, I remember when the new uh, camera app launched with the kind of the push out and then being able to access all the set- settings that this is the next thing on from that and actually something similar happens for what is effectively an HDR mode uh, Nokia don't quite refer to it as that or didn't rather you should really be calling the Microsoft now um, <laughs> and that's where you basically are combining uh photos captured at three different exposures and there's just a simple slider and you can move back and forth um, along it and dictate sort of the the pattern and the combination that comes in you know very clever stuff it's happening real time on the screen the reason that's good is most of the hdr modes on existing uh, camera phones are, are to a set level it all happens automatically and then a picture comes out at the end what's nice about this is it's just like kind of the smart reframing you can actually go back and edit it at any time you like and so you can have one version that maybe emphasizes the dark and maybe one that uh, that's lighter and go between those those two extremes and actually it's something very similar happens for the uh, flash and non-flash scenario it's kind of just a very simple and you scroll through it with a with a scroll by just move it with your finger and you can choose exactly which level you want your photo at so it really is the best implementation i've seen on a, a camera phone when you bear in mind that it needs to be something that's easier for people to use without really thinking about it you know if you're looking to do the full thing you're going to be capturing three different photos at three different exposure levels anyway and flashing on fashion combining them yourself on a pc this is really aimed at doing it on the device as quickly and as easily as possible yeah, it's just kind of a shame that the Lumia 1020s uh, innards aren't quite up to running this new software because it actually would have been really handy to have had the facility of the dynamic flash working with the Xenon flash. So you had a, the option of, of a, a full white out, massive, br- brilliantly white lit Xenon shot and the complete ambient shot and mixing those rather mm. than relying on an LED flash shot and the ambient. So it, it's kind of one disappointment, but uh, who knows? Maybe I'll get Xenon back in 2015. Uh, well, keep your fingers crossed, Steve. You never know. I mean, I suspect that would have been extra work to kind of work out how to do that because it's effectively yet another kind of uh, lighting or flash level. And as you say, the 1020, it's really about the uniqueness of both the camera hardware in terms of, you know, the 42 megapixel camera has a, a totally different kind of camera stack compared to the other Lumia devices. Um, and it also is obviously on the whole older software. It's the Snapdragon S4, which is sort of equivalent to the Snapdragon 400, but not really because it's one generation back. Um, but we won't get into a, a technical discussion there. Yeah. Okay. Um, staying with hardware, um, I did do a roundup of uh, coverage around the internet uh, of, by some of the major tech sites of Microsoft Band, the Microsoft's new wearable. And uh, the reason I wanted, to, I had to round up other people's is because, of course, it's only been released in the USA and even then only in very, very limited numbers. Um, so we had absolutely zero chance to get hands on Rafe. And I don't think we will until uh, maybe even version two of the band sometime next year. But the, the proposition I've got for you is rather than uh, talk about something you haven't had hands on is the fact that it's it's all tied in with this Microsoft Health, which is 
unlike the band itself, Microsoft Health seems to have got a very, very good press. And it seems to be that Microsoft have, have actually got the inertia and the size. They could actually pull off the all-consuming fitness environment that all the other platforms, all the other wearables all feed into. I think Microsoft Health is the bigger story rather than the band itself. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. I agree with you. Health is actually the much more important thing here. Microsoft Band, don't get me wrong, it's interesting, but it kind of feels like a, a prototype product. And it's been interesting reading some of the reviews, including the things you refer to, that say it's not very comfortable to wear. There's a few improvements to, to be made. And I was listening to the uh, Mobile Tech Roundup uh, podcast hosted by our friends uh, Matt Miller and Kevin Tofel. And, you know, they actually were both keen on the Microsoft Band and had gone out and bought one. Um, but it, even they were sort of saying, yeah, there, there's still work to be done. It does, does feel like that. But you look at Microsoft Health actually sort of ties back into Microsoft Health Vault, which is something that's been going on for a long time. Microsoft thinking quite carefully about the digital storage of health records. The Microsoft Health, bit more of a consumer play and being able to tie in with various uh, wearables and various fitness and tracking related services. But the big thing is, of course, it's being cross platform and you can, with the new Microsoft, with uh, Satya Nadella's vision about delivering, uh, you know, services and being cross-platform, being mobile and cloud first, it feels like there's less baggage attached to it. I mean, don't get me wrong, Microsoft wants to make money out of it just as Apple and Google do, but Microsoft are the first to say, actually, we don't care. We want it to be cross-platform. We're not just restricting this to Windows Phone, which you can, they have to do given that Windows Phone is very fir- firmly in third place. But it feels a bit more compelling than the uh, Google or the Apple alternative. It'll be interesting to see. They are going to face an uphill struggle simply because Google and Apple are much bigger in terms of the number of people they'll be able to get initially. But I wonder whether the Microsoft Health thing would actually be more successful about doing the thing that's going to be the real value, which is tying into kind of the health infrastructure. And I mean things like doctors and hospitals and that whole kind of healthcare enterprise uh, level. Uh, It's a bit early to to judge this, but, um, you know, it's nice to see that Microsoft's uh, taking the right approach and they're also, uh, you know, partnering with as many people as possible to get... uh, the the data in we'll have to wait and see i mean i haven't had a chance really to play with this in any detail and microsoft health them um, at least initially with U- us only and there's it's one of those things where you actually have to look a few steps ahead and see what's coming and i think that's that's where you're right steve there's a lot of potential there and qu- quite possibly it's microsoft uh, in a good position to take advantage of the fact that um, almost by their very nature, Apple and Google's efforts are, are tied to their own platforms. And it, it's difficult to see that changing. I mean, it is also things beyond that. Some of the thinking behind Microsoft Health is you're trying to preside, provide insight into your broader well-being. It, it's hard to see how that will go. I mean, I've seen a couple of predictions recently that saying this kind of aggregated health data could become really important in solving and making predictions about various um, health-related topics you know know, could it potentially uh, curing a disease is perhaps going a bit far but (laughs) if you start thinking about the implications of having access to this data in anonymized ways and sort of big data people are going to start to get scared because obviously uh, their health and their medical data is something that's very sensitive and there has to be good security and good privacy around it but at the same time these kind of systems have the potential to collect the amount of data that could be very interesting to start being able to draw conclusions and i wouldn't be at all surprised if we do see medical breakthroughs as a result of this i'm not saying it will necessarily be microsoft health but all of these platforms have have a great deal of potential and it's just it it almost happenstance in some ways or the good fortune microsoft that they're going cross-platform from the beginning they've already got this microsoft health fault kind of system and to be fair google has something similar as well 
but they're they're starting to think in an enterprise way already, probably reflecting the nature of Microsoft as a company itself, providing big uh, services on the back end for enterprise and that kind of big data, the cloud approach. Uh, well worth watching because there's an enormous amount of value in there. You just need to look at the healthcare sector to realize just how much money is in there. Just as maybe you can talk about with wearables more generally, you know, there is this whole interesting personal consumer stuff. But actually, when you get into healthcare specifically, that's probably where a lot of the uh, value for wearables is going to come in the next few years. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying a, f- a fair few wearables um, for the, in my phone show and Android beat with my, those hats on so people can follow my usual links and they can find my reviews of the various smartwatches. But uh, suffice it to say, I think one looking forward to Microsoft Band Gen 2 and Microsoft Health both being rolled out sort of in spring 2015. I think that's when the, certainly Rafe and I will certainly get our hands on and, and get some uh, some real experience with the system. Um, moving on to our last topic of the podcast. Now, I was determined to work out after facing a barrage of phones on my desk, work out which was the best. And, and you know how it is. I put my SIM in one, I try it for a day, and I get. I think, well, I'll try the other one. The grass is always greener somewhere else. And I was switching backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. I thought, this is ridiculous. I've got to have some systematic way of working out which is the best Windows phone in the world. And I thought our, our readers and listeners might also appreciate coming along for the ride. So I did a table. Um, which I should say that uh, although you can't read the tables and all about Windows Phone on a Windows Phone because of the um, dynamic site rendering that Ray very cleverly does for most content, but it doesn't work for tables. But I did do a, a bitmap version of the table, so hopefully people on Windows Phones could have brought it up as an image on the screen and then zoomed in and out and panned around, so hopefully everyone was included. Um, the surprise for me, Rafe, actually, is that uh, if you look at the table yourself on the screen now, the, the, the Lumia 1520 not surprisingly, is it comes out on top because it has every feature, but it's also twice the size of some of the other phones. Um, the, the interesting thing is that once you, for, for example, eliminate the 1520 as perhaps being too big to recommend to everyone, you start then thinking, okay, well, the, 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 the Lumia 1020, the 930 and the 830 are probably less, then second equal, but the 830 has got the, the, the less powerful chipset and only one gig of RAM. So you have to start wondering whether that will start falling behind as application updates come out, as Windows 10 appears. The Lumia 1020, no more powerful and, and even older chipset, has the two gig of RAM, but you have to feel it's going to run out of steam at some point in 2015. Um, which leaves, it's much to my surprise, the, the, the Lumia 930 as the overall winner. <laughs> it's, it's not too, too big to recommend. And it has the up-to-date chipset and the two gig of RAM and a pretty decent camera. It's got the, the 4K recordings we just discussed earlier and it's got the Qi charging, uh, and it's got a reasonably large battery. It's got a loudspeaker. Um, and it's got a, a five inch, really nice AMOLED screen at 1080p. So even though the 930 is a device I haven't really majored on over the last four or five months, I had to feel that overall it, it became the, the pick of my overall winner. And that's one of the reasons why I got it back in just to give it a, a second chance. And I'm wondering whether you agree with my win winner. Well, it's interesting because I was looking at this table and sort of going, well, there's a few where I would sort of say it's not quite a simple question of yes or no. And I think a, a good example of that is the camera where, for example, the M8 gets marked down. Uh, I think for certain people, that camera is actually going to be fine because of the speed. But I, I'll, I'll sort of, I'll give you that one. And I'd have actually said the 830 is really good camera for its cars. And of course, the other thing is you, you look at something like cost. And I think you have to give the advantage to the uh, 830 there. I the specifically moment. excluded value and for money. That's coming in part two of the feature next week, Ray. Yes, uh, I, I know that. <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted to give a shout out for that. But there was also a few things like, uh, 
on the M8, for example, it does have a very big uh, battery and it also has the dot view case, which um, yeah. isn't quite equivalent to, to glance screen, but it sort of, it, it gets there and you noted it quite rightly in the table. Uh, yeah. the, the thing about the 930 that has put me off it is the lack of glance screen because that's a big deal for me. And that, that gives you a clue. All of these categories are, are rated equal. And of course, uh, Steve being the camera person has included what, one for both still camera and video camera. I would probably <laughs> always just have an overall camera rating because, well, I, I like taking photos and videos. It's probably not the equal of two. And actually, I really don't care that much about the process and the RAM as long as it feels snappy. And uh, I have a great deal of difficulty day to day in in telling the difference uh, between the various devices. You can actually, if you compare them side by side, and I will say having been using the 830 for a while, I can actually just just feel a bit of a difference. I'd have to switch back to the 930 to be sure about it. But as I say, all, all of these categories are, are treated each week. So I was kind of surprised as well, Steve, to see the, the 930 come out on, on top. I think we've probably been a bit unkind about it on the podcast just because we're so used to the glance screen. If you look yeah. at any other element of it, it really is a very, very strong device. And I think it's going to get stronger with some of the software updates coming. It's such your camera functionality will be a step ahead of everything else, notably over something like the 1020. So at the moment, I, I noticed that you rated the 1020, the 1520, the 930, and the 830 all as having kind of good video cameras, but you gave the uh, still camera one to the 1020. Uh, I'm assuming that's both the size of the sensor and then on flash. Yeah. I would say once the new camera software arrives, maybe you'd have to switch that over to the 1520 and 930. Big debate in itself. Um, but then equally, you can look at the 830 and some of the other devices that like the M8 that have uh, micro SD and similarly for the, the Samsung device. And actually, I think that's a real advantage because if you're you know, getting a big SD card, you can get a 64 gigabyte that has excellent performance and put that in and that will put any of the other devices to shame. And I would say now about 90% of uh, the third party applications can be installed to a memory card. And those that you can't, you can just switch the setting back while you're installed and then then switch it back again. So what what kind of struck me actually was there's actually quite a choice of really very good, strong Windows phone devices. And of course, one to suit uh, all budgets. And if you don't like one particular brand, you do actually have a choice between, in theory, the HTC, the Lumia and the Samsung, if you live in the States, that is. <laughs> if anywhere else, you don't really have that choice at the moment. And I noticed that none of the kind of uh, non-mainstream manufacturers, we've seen a whole bunch of them come out, everyone from Carbon to Spice to uh, Yez and many more uh, others as well. Uh, Arcos was another one. But those are all low-end devices. And so they're not really, I feel, in the running um, for the sort of best Windows phone of uh, 2014 i think you possibly could give a shout out to the 535 or the 630 as being really outstanding value for money and getting an awful lot of the features but it feels wrong kind of to choose a, a low-end phone as the, the standout one i think it's a testament to the 830 in some ways that uh, what is effectively a mid-tier device gets so close to all the others and um, for that reason i would actually pick out the best windows phone being the, the lumia 830 i knew that question was coming inevitably <laughs> but if, if money is truly no object and the glance screen isn't a big deal for you yes i think the 930 is probably the device to choose um interestingly i would say the 1520 is probably the very best um particularly if you get a good price on it you should be able to get a, a bit of a discount compared to the launch pricing and varies from market to market it's probably the one device that you look at and it's very very difficult to pick out anything that's wrong with it 
Uh, the problem is, of course, that it, its size will discount it for many people. And, you know, it, I, I love the fact that there's a great phablet device available now on Windows Phone, but that six inches is just going to be too big for, for most people. But uh, other than that, it's probably the most perfect, in inverted commas, of the Windows Phone devices currently. Um, but uh, I, I'm sort of wondering, Steve, I mean, you go back and forth all the time on devices, but if you had to pick out one, would it be the 930 or would you would you still plump for the 1020? In my heart, I would still take the 1020 because it it, it suits what I need a smartphone for so well. But I, I, I'm coming to the point now where, as I said in the article, I cannot discount the 930 any longer because it's got that more advanced Snapdragon 800 chipset, 2.2 gigahertz, 2 gig of RAM, and and a camera that's small enough that it can be driven fast enough for the new software, yet large enough that it can still produce good quality, if that makes any sense. So I, I, I'm prepared to give the 930 another chance. So do watch out for a few 930 features before the end of the year on the site. I wanted to ask you, though, Ray, I mean, you've had a lot of hands-on with the HTC devices, and I'll come to the Samsung Ativ SE in a moment. But uh, um, availability for the HTC One Eight for M8 for Windows, I was I thought I read something that it was there was going to be a world version that was going to come out and I, I would have kind of expecting to see it in european markets by now but you're saying it's, it's still only available in the usa yeah it's, it's now available as it was originally on verizon it's coming on to at&t and t-mobile um but it's we haven't had any information about a, a global launch i don't think it's that htc don't want to do it it will be entirely down to operators and if they haven't got the kind of operator willingness to support and launch it, it it's not going to happen i think part of the problem is you know with the european market it's made up of more smaller markets and so while collectively the european market is quite large you would need to find one of the operators that operates in multiple markets and was willing to launch it and i think the the honest truth is that the lumia devices kind of make up most of that european market in the states it just seems a bit more flexible you know they, you've got one bigger operator and they kind of like having multiple manufacturers for each platform that's always been a pattern there it, it, it's ironic given that windows phone is actually doing better in europe you know it's about 10 percent of the devices uh, being sold um in the eu5 so yeah no there's there's no actual news on that and although there were i think it's fair to say rumors or at least information about it nothing ever officially got announced about a, a world variant of the htc one m8 and it, it sort of makes you want it it's probably too late now to be honest because it's not going to be all yeah. that long before we see the next generation htc device and equally the next generation lumia device and it, it it, it could probably still do okay. It'll be interesting to see how they positioned it because actually, honestly, I don't think there's going to be that massive a leap forward in sort of hardware chipset terms. We're kind of seeing variations on the Snapdragon 800, be it the 801 or the 805 or you know whatever comes next. So possibly it could still come. And I suppose it's possible we could see, presumably be the M9, see a Windows Phone edition of that if there's uh, sufficient demand. Certainly there's been some speculation we'll see some of the other manufacturers jump back into Windows Phone as it starts to pick up, and particularly in the enterprise arena. But it, it's a device that really deserves more attention because it really is a fantastic device. I mean, I, I know you like the Android version. I like the Android version. The Windows Phone version, it seems very strong as well. I mean, I will say that uh, it doesn't have all the Lumia software on it, and that continues to be a disadvantage, even though some of that has now been made freely available, like Here Maps and Here Drive. There's still a lot of value in that Lumia software. We've been talking about the imaging stuff, but there's also various other ones, you know, things like the trailers application, just lots of little bits. And on their own, probably not enough to make a big difference. But by the time you add them all up and pick out the ones that you use regularly, 
you switch to a HTC and the same would apply to a Samsung device and it will feel like there's something missing if you've used a Lumia device before. If you're coming to Windows Phone for the first time, maybe not such a big deal, uh, but it does feel like all that ancillary software that comes around with the the Lumia something name on them actually is is more significant than I kind of really appreciated. Um, And so it's hard to recommend the HTC One M8 uh, unless you know you really want to go for that uh, that that form factor, that size, and actually, you know, no question, it's a really elegant design, and I, I love love the dot view case. I think that's a really clever idea. Um, it, it's going up against the nine thirty, which feels a bit chubby, frankly, by comparison. In reality, that's probably a little unfair. It's just the way they feel in the hand, the, and the build quality is excellent on both of them. Um, and you know, obviously, aluminium plastic on the nine thirty, aluminium unibody on the M eight. So, yeah, it, it's a tricky one, but it, it kind of makes me want to look forward to next year because I'm hoping what we'll see is more competition for Lumia at the high end. And whether that's Sony coming back in has has been rumoured for a while, potentially even LG as well, or something else from HTC or Samsung. You know, it's really interesting. But it it does feel like uh, looking at all of these devices we've been talking about, uh, Windows Phone is its strongest lineup of devices for quite some time now. Um, uh, We've we've said that about the low end for a while, but it also feels like that in the mid-tier. Maybe a bit of weakness on the high end. It would have been nice to see another flagship before Christmas. That's obviously uh, not going to happen now. Probably have to look forward to MWC or the Windows 10 announcement. Um, but that's kind of a, a long-winded answer to your your rather short question, Steve. But uh, <laughs> I, I, you said the 1020 was your personal favourite. If you were recommending a Windows phone device to someone, which one would it be? I think it would have to be the 830. And I know that you've had that in relatively recently in your house in the last week or so. So presumably you can see why I was so enthusiastic about it. It, it really is the the, the, the perfect sort of marriage of Windows Phone and a value for money hardware. And I know it's 280, which doesn't sound that much in the grand scheme of things, We're looking here at flagships, but that 280 is going to come down to about 230, 240. And at that price, you get an awful lot of smartphone for your money. So I would recommend the 830. Yeah, I, I have to endorse that as well. I mean, unless you want to spend less money, in which case I'd suggest um, either wait a bit and get the 535. Well, actually, that's just coming onto the market in some places. Or look at the 630, which is you know around the hundred pound uh, price point. The 735 is it, it's difficult to recommend because you sort of feel that if you're going to spend that, maybe wait and come up to the 830. But actually, that's a pretty big price jump. So all of those devices are good. But if you're just going to pick out one, that combination of features and value, I, I'm really blown away by the 830. I mean, I'd almost go so far as to say I think it's the best Windows phone device we've ever seen when you, you look at the overall picture. Um, and this is taking into account cost because you know, obviously there are flagship devices that are more impressive in one way or the other. You know, the 1080p screen on the 930, for example, is better than the 720p screen you get on the 830. Well, and Steve's going to tell me about <laughs> Pentel and RGB. But okay, let's say the... Uh, the 1520 screen, which is, yeah. I think, probably still the benchmark on Windows Phone. Um, and, you know, you look at something like the camera, and okay, it's a little bit down on the 20 megapixel module, but it's amazing how good it is, um, given that, you know, it obviously is a step down. And I was really surprised by that. And it's got things like microSD, the removable battery, which a lot of people do like. And it's got the Qi wireless charging. It's got the rich recording. Um, it, it's got the 4G connected. It's got NFC. It's got Pentaband. You know, all of those things that... It really make it, it it stand out, and so I yeah I can't disagree with you. The eight thirty, if you're just going to recommend one device to people, uh, and honestly, what's so surprising about it in some ways is you could recommend that to someone who's used.
used to using a high-end device. And honestly, I don't think they'd be that disappointed if you recommend it to someone who's, you know, used to maybe a low-end device and is looking to spend a bit more, but maybe not flagship money. They're going to pick that up and they think they've got incredibly close to a flagship device. It really is very impressive. I mean, it got talked about as being the kind of the low-cost flagship or the the mid-tier flagship. Honestly, it does live up to that label, the affordable flagship. It's it's a fantastic device. And I hope we see uh, kind of iterations of that in the future. I really like the design and I really like the kind of the combination of the value for money. It's uh, it's a fantastic device. I've been really impressed in the week I've spent with it. Yeah. Yeah. And just a final thought before we finish the podcast, you could actually buy a Lumia 830, Ray, and you could buy one for your partner and you could buy one for your teenage kid. You could buy all three of them for less than the price of one iPhone 6 Plus. That's Um, right. (laughs) <laughs> on the other on the other hand you could could go to the states go and take part in the black friday sales and pick up a 630 for 35 dollars which uh, <laughs> i guess is about 25 pounds which means you could have 10 of them for the price of a uh, 830 at the moment or something like that or 30 of th- or 30 of them for the price of an iphone 6 yeah, plus but let, we're, we're going to get letters from iphone owners race we better stop <laughs> um, it's been it's been fun uh, chatting to you, Rafe, and the end of this All About Windows Phone Insight podcast. It's a, a goodbye from me. Any, any last words from Rafe? Yeah, it's a goodbye from me as well. Thanks as ever to, to Steve for keeping me in line. Well, most of the time, I'll, I'll try to get him talking a little bit more next week. In <laughs> fact, I know once Lumia Camera comes out, finally, the real version, the big update, um, I will sit listening to Steve's wisdom about what I should be doing with the, the camera and all the great new features. But uh, until then, goodbye from me as well, and thanks for listening. <laughs>